Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 221st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's double trouble on the bubble. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, joining us for an infrequent visit, is Word of Commander Cliff Daigle, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey everybody, glad to be here. Looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on the agenda this week while Travis sorts out his technical issues? Well, we're going to talk about some of uh, the weekend review for Magic Online's metagame. We're going to talk about the top movers in paper. You know, uh, the pandemic cannot stop us from buying cards like crazy for awesome decks. Apparently not. We're, we've got uh, a trip quadruple threat for the topic of the week. We've got whistleblower talk, double masters goes going on. We've got secret layers that are dropping. And we just got told that there's going to be some kind of ban readjustment thing happening to Companions in Standard. Then we get to talk about our picks of the week. Uh, you've got some spicy ones. I've got some spicy ones. There's a theme that you will figure out very quickly, dear listener. And it's just a lot to get to. We're going to cram it in there. Sounds good to me. All right, so we can get rolling here on the MGGO Metagame Week in Review. Uh, obviously, Companions continue to be the big story here. Over in the Standard Challenge this week, it was actually won by a Corvold Sacrifice deck. Not tremendously surprising. That deck is so powerful, it's been able to hang in there even in the era of Companions. And truly, though the Companions around, it may have been utterly dominant uh, as it was before they popped up uh, in the meta. Uh, the rest of the standard challenge was filled out by a Luris deck and a Mori deck, uh, one of the rarer companions to see in a top eight, and then Yorion, Yorion, Luris, Yorion, and uh, not a companion. So six out of eight of the standard challenge decks were companion-driven. Companions, companions everywhere. I mean, that's probably why we're going to be hearing about the... Uh adjustment uh whatever speculation you want to do about what change uh will happen whether um i've seen people saying that the companion will now take the place of a card in hand so you have a six card it's basically you have to mulligan to start your game if you have a companion uh we will see if that does a lot to counteract the guarantee of a card in hand but i'm glad that they're experimenting with well, we don't know that they're experimenting with the mechanic, but I'm glad they're trying that instead of just immediate ban. Because it's not like the card is overpowered, but its placement seems to be overpowered. Yeah. The... <sighs> Hard to say what's going to happen here. A lot of people have different theories. 
Um, suffice to say, we've been recommending for weeks steer clear of specs that are companions or companion dependent until the dust settles. Plenty of other interesting things uh, in the Ikoria product line and related commander decks to be focusing on uh, in lieu of looking too hard at commanders. There are still there's still the potential for some of these cards to be a big deal, but we need to see how Wizards decides they're going to handle them before we commit. Uh, because <clears throat> you know it's not just a single format problem. Over in the Pioneer Challenge, it was won by Yorion Esper Control, so Yorion doing work there as well. And the top three decks were all Yorion decks of variety, uh, different flavors, and then it was five Lurus decks to round out. So in Pioneer Challenge this week, it was eight of eight companions and over in the modern super qualifier it was six of eight with Gengatha being played in eldrazi tron taking down the super qualifier uh, eldrazi tron also did that last week and i can't remember if they were running Gengatha at that time as well uh, and then you had luris kahira which t- tends to show up in blue white control believe it or not um just on the basis of them not having any creatures <laughs> so they can meet the restrict they meet the requirements of having a free 3-2 Vigilance. And then uh, Luris, 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 rounding things out there. I love that an Eldrazi Tron deck can have uh, just this free roll Gigantha for almost no problem at all. It, it You're not going to use Gigantha to cast any of your Eldrazi, but it's just a free 5-5 five, five for 5, and sometimes that's all you need. Both uh, blue-based control decks in Pioneer and Modern have been seen running four copies of Omen of the Sea lately, which is not a card that I had pegged for high-level constructed play, certainly not as far back as Modern. But we've in Modern, you've been seeing it show up in counterbalance decks where you can use that uh, instant speed scry 2 to set up a counterbalance uh, effect in a pretty nasty fashion. And here in this Esper Control deck in Pioneer, they're just using it to find, you know, right answers to solve the right problems at the right time. I mean, we should have known it would be good, uh, you know, uh, ponder... No, uh, this is Preordain. Uh, Preordain's good enough to get banned at one mana sorcery. So adding a mana but giving it flash is still really good. So I'm, I'm, impro- I'm impressed at it making its way into modern, too. But uh, it also gets a bonus if you happen to have a Lurus laying around because it's a uh, a permanent you can get back. Ah, uh, good point. Um, I haven't seen it much in Lurus decks, but seems like it could do some work there if if the rest of the the build uh, cooperated. I think the issue with Lurus and Control is that you tend to be wanting to cast three, four, five mana Planeswalkers at the top end, so you don't see much of it. True enough. For instance, this. 12 Planeswalkers in this Esper Control build for Pioneer, 2 Ashiok Nightmare Muse, 4 Narset Parter of Veils, 2 Big Teferi, and 4 Small Teferi. Small Teferi is a scourge. Uh, And also crashing on Magic Online on schedule as as predicted two weeks ago. Uh, So (laughs) second place in the Pioneer Challenge was uh, Blue-White Control as opposed to Esper. Interesting seeing Shark Typhoon uh, showing up in Pioneer makes me wonder what uh, whether I should be targeting extended arts of that card. Suspect it's got a home in both Pioneer and 
uh, commander over top of standard. And if it's going to be run that regularly, might be something worth looking at. I I mean, I don't think it's getting played much for the enchantment, although it's nice when you can stick that. But just remember that uh, the cycling mode, you get the creature, it's got flash, and it can't be countered by thing unless you're playing something super specific like... Um, Crap, I don't remember. It's counter-target spell, activate ability, or uh, disallow. Yeah, or from you have Kaladesh. some misers. Yeah, some misers' tails and in there or something. Yeah. I did see somebody uh, counter the Yorion trigger to bring everything back with the tails in. <laughs> that that nice. made me want to go build a deck with four nice. tails in immediately. That was awesome. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. Third place in that uh, was also blue-white control with Yorion, and then it was Luris, red-white, uh, aggro burn, uh, and the only other Luris deck I saw was sixth place was Insoul Artifact uh, with Ginger Brutes and Stone Coil Serpents, Shrapnel Blast, and Ghost Fire Blades and so forth. Um, they also ran a couple of All That Glitters, borrowing a little bit of that tech from the black-white deck. And then Luris Burn in 7th and 8th. So lots of Luris Burn over there in Pioneer, but Yorion coming out on top for the top three. Now over in the modern Super Qualifier, as I said, it was Eldrazi Tron Gen Gotha that took that down. Uh, but we also had a variety of other decks uh, making appearances, uh, both on the control side and aggro. Uh, let me just see if I can find those lists in front of me here. The modern Super Qualifier included... Uh, second place after the Eldrazi Tron build was the black-red uh, Luris build that runs Abbot of Carol Keep, Kiln Fiend, Monastery Swift Spear, Skull Scar Mage, and then a whole bunch of two cast and cost or less stuff, of course, because it's Luris, including four Kling to Dust, which has become kind of an instant staple in this meta. Um, the ability to remove cards from graveyards at instant speed, and if it's a creature card, you gain three life. Is basically a counter to Luris triggers, or can get rid of a Luris. Um, I mean, uh, Luris target and draw you a card. Uh, super sweet. Or Mishra's draw you a card. It, it you either exile, you either gain three if it's a creature, or you draw a card. Got and it. in these pro, in these prowess decks, and a lot of times it's just one black prowess trigger. Um, it's really funny to me that the uh, playtest card from Mystery Boosters about how to keep an Is It Mage busy. That thing would break modern in half. Because <laughs> if, if you never saw this card, it's a hybrid red-blue. It's a sorcery. Return this sorcery to its owner's hand. And you just keep playing it. And just think about how many decks would play the bejesus out of that. Yeah, I, I follow. It's nasty. The third place deck was uh, blue-white control fairly similar to what we saw in pioneer but with all the modern trimming upgrades including 3j's the mind sculptor this is the counterbalance build that i uh, mentioned before archmage's charm continues to earn its keep in the format so it'll be interesting to see if that card can take off if and when we ever get back to people actually playing modern in public modern has dominated the online participation uh, rate versus pioneer there's been way more trophies racked up in modern leagues than pioneer leagues since uh, the COVID thing hit. So it has put to the question uh, the theories that Travis and I were espousing since last fall, that pioneer was destined to slowly take over for modern. 
very curious if we went back to paper today and everybody could run out to their F&Ms and play, whether we would see more modern or more pioneer get getting played. Uh, that's real hard to say. I mean, um, no, I, I got nothing, man. The, the, the growth modern spiked real hard when modern horizons came out. A lot of people were interested. These are new sweet cards to play with. You know, Archmage's charm does. I mean, anytime you can play a deck with Archmage's charm and cryptic command, you just have so much you can do. And that that's really appealing. And pioneer has a lot of fun things to offer, but not with this power level, you know? There's also something to be said for the uh, player base for Modern. Certainly have had yeah, it's already pretty entrenched. Having most of a decade to build up their collections and commit to the format. So I think, I mean, the safest perspective for an MTG Finance interested party is to be focused on the cards that are showing up across multiple formats. If it's good in Pioneer and Modern, and happens to be an EDH card, that's your sweet spot. Yeah. Covers your bases. Um, sixth place uh, was a Boggles deck in this modern tournament, and then sorry, fifth place, and then sixth place was more of the black red uh, Luris action. What, there was a version that was Jund that ran Tarmogoyf in the, in a two slot alongside similar cards, and then seventh place was another Eldrazi Tron, and eighth place was. Uh, the version that had the Tarmogoyf with Croxa and Death Shadow. Um, I was curious about Luris and Death Shadow uh, early on. I was wondering about the tension between the life link on Luris and Death Shadow wanting you to be at a low life total. Um, but seems like it, it. People have figured out that equation. Now all of this is kind of moot because, as you as you mentioned earlier, there are changes coming to companions. It sounds like. Um, it didn't sound like, I think that uh, the announcement for June 1st is Brawl and Standard and Pioneer, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it included Modern, right? I don't think it did. Let me see if I can find it. So, so if a structural change is coming to the rules for Companion, I'm curious as to whether there are specific bannings coming for the mentioned formats and then a all format structural change to how Companions work. Um, I have a suspicion it's a change to the mechanic, not the, um, individual cards, but like you said, we, we don't know yet, and, uh, we will find out the fun way come, uh, June, June 1st. All right, so we'll be talking about that in detail next week, obviously. For the time being, we can move on to our top paper movers of the week. All sorts of action. Honestly, there were dozens and dozens of cards that were more than, say, 25% on the move this week. And this, our best take on this is that it's a combination of those with capital, vendors, speculators, and people whose financial status was not interrupted by COVID, um, continuing to purchase cards and purchase inventory in a market that is having troubling, trouble replenishing that inventory because of the lack of available buy list options. Now, there are still buy lists running. Cool Stuff Inc. still running a buy list. Channel Fireball is advertising contests associated with their buy list. Card Kingdom is, is buy listing cards. 
but a lot of the offers are still lower than they would normally be. And so players are less motivated to be selling their cards in many cases uh, in terms of what they will get if they do so. And trading cards into credit or cards is also a little less appealing if you aren't under any immediate impetus to run out and try to play with those cards. So there are certainly people purchasing cards in the market. We can see it going on constantly. My sales are down, but not tremendously. And most of the stuff is you know, not being bought up by major vendors. It's getting bought up by individuals all over North America who want cards for decks. And I'm constantly asking people when I sell them stuff, you know, what are you building? And they're doing what you would expect a player to be doing. They're building EDH decks. They're getting stuff ready for Pioneer or Modern that's caught their eye, even if they don't have any immediate place to play it. So far, Magic players seem relatively resilient uh, in in the face of the, the COVID scenario. So all of this, of course, still hinges greatly on how COVID plays out for the rest of the summer, how quickly uh, various communities in North America and around the world can get back to their normal. And certainly mid to longer term, it's very much going to matter how many uh, local gaming stores are able to reopen and effectively uh, regroup the community yeah i mean the there's places opening now that probably shouldn't um i will be fascinated to see like what the the pattern is of uh, places that uh, were closed and then reopen and then close again Uh, i'm a public school teacher so i have no idea what things are going to look like for the beginning of the next school year and uh, I think that magic is going to be fine. It's the individual stores and the physical locations I'm most concerned about. Uh, Wizards clearly thinks there's going to be no problem at all. Like we're going to talk about um, them deciding that uh, the beginning of June is the perfect time to drop. Uh, is it four or five secret layers on us? Well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see that as wizards thinking things are going to be fine. I see that as wizards trying as much as they possibly can to stick to their product rollout game plan because they've long since committed all the resources to make those projects happen so right but this is something and you know what we'll talk about this more in a few minutes is what we'll do all right so let's get into the paper the paper movers here since we got a relatively uh tall list staff of domination masterpiece series going from 100 to 130 pretty much drained out on tcg player i think last i checked there was like a 120 dollar copy and then 160 and nothing else um i see this as being one of those situations where speculators may have piggybacked on top of a natural drain cycle and uh the narrative amongst the mtg finance community has been to latch on to wherever inventory is lowest and look for opportunities to you know capitalize on that in the short to midterm just by being the last person standing holding a piece of inventory. Now, when you see this stuff get reposted at double the price it was a day ago, you can largely ignore that. The, the smart operators are just going to flip it into the situation at plus 20, plus 30, plus 40% to whoever feels FOMO enough to get in on it. But masterpieces have made folks money for years. And we're now getting to the point where we're three, four years out from the publishing of some of these cards. And given how rare they were overall, I mean, we estimated that there was something like 10,000 to 20,000 copies of each of these 
masterpieces total anywhere in the world. Um, a lot of them go into collections never to return. When Wizards chooses to reprint these kinds of things, they tend to go with a different approach most of the time. You know, for instance, Mana Crypt has gotten a bunch of different reprints, including a Masterpiece series. But the version that we're going to get in Double Masters is a whole other animal entirely. Um, every time they add a premium version of one of those cards, it certainly competes for attention with the other premium versions. But it see- doesn't seem to do much to knock the premium versions down, at least not for very long. And keep in mind, too, that uh, Staff of Domination is one of the ways to win with uh, infinite mana that's just like instant speed. I'm just going to do all this. Um, and since, as we're going to see, a lot of the big movers this week were uh, Zaxara-based, the new right. Hydra. And I've built around that myself this week. Um, so once you've got uh, infinite mana, you need some place to go with it and just, uh, you know, get down have a good time. Yeah, so if you have, like, Freed from the Reel on your Zaxara, she's tapping uh, for more mana than she's untapping for. You have infinite mana, and the Staff of Domination lets you plow that into a single object to win the yeah. game. And this just being the most uh, premium version available of the card, um, it was banned in Commander for a while, wasn't it? Staff of Domination? Yeah. Uh, really? That surprises me. That must have been early on. Uh, yeah, they unbanded in 2015, uh, no, 2013? Yeah, it was banned early on. 2013, is... it predates my interest in the format entirely. <laughs> well, I, I... this this was also when they banned Trade Secrets, because uh, in your four-player pod, you just had to find somebody who's like, hey, you want to draw your whole deck? All right, let's do it. I mean, it speaks to the, the value of Wizards producing official product, right? Because... I, I'm pretty sure you can pin the creation of my first commander deck to the appearance of the first official commander decks. Uh, in well, 2013. that was 2011, bud. You sure? First ones, I... I'm very sure. I had all of them. I ha- oh my god, uh, I just started playing commander like six months before that. I had this Adun Oaken Shield all creatures deck that was uh, both wonderful and terrible. And then the official decks came out, and I had to build a Kalia deck with... Uh, there was literally 60 demons, dragons, and angels in that stupid thing. It was is true, is just... true Name Nemesis from Commander? The yes. first set? Okay, so, uh, no, not and that the was... first one. It was the... Was that 2013? Let me check real quick. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. My point is, official Commander decks pull people into the format. True. Um, and Which you're mean, right that Staff of Domination is not, like, that overpowered compared to what people are doing now. This That, that was early on. It was early on. Wild. So, moving on with the list here. Grow, growing Rights of Itlamok, the buy a box promo, going from 33 to 45. This has been on the rise for some time. We were telling people to pick these up, you know, two years ago for 10 bucks or something. And people were like, really? It, is, it seems like it's not going to be that good. Yeah, it's... A poor man's Gaia's Cradle is going to be just fine. Second biggest EDH card from Ixalan, as reported on EDH Rec. 19,000 decks reported. And then Primal Amulet by a box. These are the ones with the maps that you could only get from promo packs that I think were released in November of that year. And they both came, they came in both English and Japanese. Uh, Primal Amulet version is up to like six, has gone from 16 to 30. We were buying those at under $5 a couple of years ago. 
So that's going to be a quad, a quint, who knows. Um, $20 copies on eBay still if you really want to get one. And, you know, time is running short because there's just no way to resupply these until buy lists come back up to full speed. Uh, and even then, I think that the these are the kinds of cards that will always come into buy lists slower than they will exit vendors. And so their price will naturally get dri- driven up over time. And you'll see reprints on these flip cards. I mean, it's entirely possible that there's a flip subcycle and double masters and some of these are about to see a reprint. Um, they're old enough now that that could happen. But it won't be the promo art with the super sweet map on the back. It'll be probably the original art. Travis tried uh, for a while to get mapster pieces to be a thing. No, that was me. That was he you? hated. He hated that. Oh, I guess that's why I kept saying it to him. Yeah, tra- Travis hates that completely. I, I was the one <laughs> saying mapster pieces. I was trying to explain right. to people that they were probably more rare than masterpieces and people should not be ignoring them. And I've been proven right. <laughs> and, and we'll talk about another option to pursue that line of thinking as we get to our picks of the week. Uh, Maelstrom Wanderer was on Travis's radar the last couple of weeks and the CMA version, Commander's Arsenal, went from 20 to 40 for 100% gains. Afara, God of the Polis, out of Born of the Gods, going from 6 to $12. Uh, that's just kind of a moderate like medium popular commander card that only saw a reprint in the recent secret layer no particular reason to be rising as far as i know Underrealm lich out of guilds of ravnica going from four to eight it's been mentioned on brainstorm brewery lately and has combos with recent commanders uh so no big surprise to see it continuing to move counterbalance the masterpiece series from Amonkhet. This is an invocation going from 40 to about 90 for 100% plus gains. As I said, it's being used in modern blue-white control uh, when it was mostly a legacy card. There wasn't much reason for people to be going after this, but folks targeting this in the last week is almost certainly about the modern action. Yep. Uh, Let's see. Next up, we have Fauna Shaman that has gone from 6 to about 13. Um... There's a, it's in the uh, Winota, fi- uh, not Winota Fires, Winona uh, Historic deck. And I guess people are putting it together in paper as well, because that's pretty fun. It triggers Winota to get your non-human, it's a non-human that can attack, and it'll go find the Winota when you need to. It's pretty handy, and it's awesome in Commander. It's, plus it's been forever since this thing's been printed, right? Yeah, it has been printed since Magic 2011. Oh, no, it was in Ultimate Masters. That's uh, that's catching up, too. Yeah, the thing that people need to understand, though, is if in a 10-year span your only reprint was a Master set, give that card two years, even if it's only medium popular, and you're going to see it get up there. Bounce back. So- yeah, that's, uh, somebody mentioned that in the Discord, and that's what I'm going to be uh, writing about either ne- uh, this week or next week. That's also why you're going to see people are going to be a little stunned when about a year from now, Modern Horizons cards get real expensive. Oh, because I so. <laughs> when your only printing <laughs> was in a $240 box, I mean, that that's an unprecedented scenario, right? That That we talked about a lot when Modern Horizons came out, but when Modern kind of fell off the radar because Pioneer was introduced and people sort of felt betrayed and a lot of early specs for modern horizons turned into stalled specs people didn't sell them when they when the getting was good in the summer 
there was kind of a bad taste in people's mouth about Modern Horizons. But the fact of the matter is that if Paper Matter, Paper Magic recovers, and we have every reason to believe that it will, given enough time, um, and given the fact that Modern Horizons actually has a whole bunch of cards in it that are also really great in Commander, if nowhere else, and there's also legacy cards in there, the end cube and whatever. The the fact that those rares and mythics only came had such a high opening cost, a high replacement cost, that even though there are tons of Modern Horizons boxes sitting around waiting to be opened, you're going you're already seeing the price of those boxes recover from its their lows in the middle of winter and starting to edge up. I think Card Kingdom was unloading cases at about a thousand a case at one point, and now I, th- I believe they're asking about two hundred dollars more per case than they were a few months ago. Now I would consider expect that trend line to continue. There's just too much goodness in that set. It is a lot of goodness. Plus, it's a lot of fun to draft. There's they they really yeah, it's a good draft out of the park. You know, you can have. Um, the, the popular one was the um, Creatureless, uh, I'm going to mill you and put four back in my deck, uh, splice on to Arcane, all that good stuff. Um, next up on the list was uh, Primordial Hydra out of M13. Uh, no, Return of the Wild Speaker. Return of the Wild Speaker. The extended, oh, right. art, sorry. extended art version going from 5 to 12 for 140% gains. We flagged this early on. People on our Discord were, were some of them were skeptical. They said, "Ah, it's, it's, there's a bunch of effects like this in EDH. This one's not that good." And we were like, "Nope, flexibility uh, fits in a bunch of different scenarios in EDH, and that open-ended synergy thing where it will work with a bunch of different commanders is how you end up with a very popular card." And indeed, this card is one of the top cards out of Eldrain for Commander. Doesn't really matter anywhere else, but that has allowed the extended arts to jump pretty hard. I think that a good healthy chunk of this is speculative, but the market is likely to support, given the popularity of the card, a $10 plus price point. So those people that, I think I marked my copies that I popped in Collector Boosters at a dollar. Like I think that was the cost basis I assigned to them. Because the way I usually will open a collector booster, as you, the way you should, if you're thinking, if you're assessing your collection from a cost basis, is to open the whole thing, take the most expensive cards and assess them at their current market value, and then if you're looking to sell them, sell them, and work your way back towards covering your costs. And once you've covered your costs, everything else is free. You can also do this with collection purchases. You, you spend $1,000 on a collection, you sell $1,000 worth of cards. All the rest of the stuff in that collection was then free, minus expenses. You know, account for your expenses and taxes and whatever. But it, it's a relatively simplistic way of showing that you are in the hole until you're not, and then everything is pure profit beyond that, minus, minus fees and expenses. So the Return of the Wild Speakers, you know, were marked at a dollar. <laughs> They'll sell over 10. That gives me pretty good feelings about where collector boosters are likely to be headed. Because if you're if you're going to get a two or three extended arts that are dramatically undervalued up front because other stuff is stealing the spotlight, you're probably going to be in a position where down the road the stuff's going to get scarce, it's going to get popular, and those collector booster boxes are going to be covered relatively easily. 
I mean, um, the only collector boosters I've had, uh, I got my hands on two boxes and uh, we drafted them. And that was a phenomenal time uh, with Eldraine. I haven't done that with the uh, other sets with collector boosters yet, though. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That sounds fun. The uh, <laughs> We'll have to wait and see how crazy these Double Masters uh, VIP boxes are, but we'll get to that. I, I am only a uh, low to medium roller, sir. I do not have the capacity for picking up uh, whatever the hell it is. It's like 35 cards in their VIP set. We'll see. We'll see. Greater good. Out of ninth edition, going from 6 to 15. Also a popular green card in Commander. Uh, freed from the real, 3 to 8. This is Zach Zara. has been driving all versions of the card for a couple weeks now. Miscutter Hydra, foils 450 to 11 out of Theros. Probably Zach Zara uh, as well, since it's the Hydra. Repercussion out of Urza's Destiny. Normal copies going from 14 to 40. This is a moderately popular commander card that is so old that most of the bulk that will roll into a shop at this point is not going to be carrying this card. And it's not the kind of card people are going to be carrying around in their binders unless they have a dedicated EDH binder in many scenarios. So, And, it, and I don't think it's ever caught a reprint. That would be... Nope. Urza's Destiny, it was a rare, and, uh, you know, so it hasn't been printed in literally 21 20 years. years. Yeah. Uh, what's next on the list here? Cephalid Constable. Uh, did you know what this did before we looked at it? No, I would have to. This is the kind of card I would have to look up. I think I was kind of phased out of magic during Judgment, so there's a lot of cards that catch me surprise. So uh, it's a ridiculous card if you're mutating onto it. Whenever it deals damage to a player, bounce that many permanents that player controls. So it's really. It, the guess is it's really good with the assorted mutate stuff. Uh, the non foils have gone from 6 to about 20, so now it's time for people to say, like, oh, this is a. Six dollar card? No, now it's a much more expensive card than that. You've got tenth edition and judgment to choose from. Uh, good luck looking through your cards to find them and uh, sell, 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 sell. Yeah, this is on the back of like Otrimi and Brokos being the mutate commanders of choice. Unclear to me whether that is going to be a trend line that survives the next few hype cycles. My guess is probably not. Um, most of the time, I'm, if a card spikes because of a specific commander that's new, I'm asking myself, is this going to be a top 25 commander all time? And if the answer is no, and if the card is very specific to that commander, I absolutely am a seller. Yeah, I I don't think many of the... the I always think of the... Um, do you remember... Gosh, it would have been several years ago. Um, all the Nekusar, the Mindraiser decks, like everything where yep. everybody draws cards just like we're going crazy and uh i just feel like you should always sell into these and not worry too much about it Uh, if you've got them dump them and uh move on with uh other things that we're going to tell you about because they're even better targets for your mind well the nice thing there is that there is a bunch of cards that were really good in nekasar you know wheel of fortune is a good example that weren't necessarily great with other commanders um but then you have something like Zythris show up that also wants you to be wheeling and so a bunch of that if you built Nekasar and had it sitting around you'd probably have a bunch of incidental value gain just because all of a sudden there's a hot new commander that also wants your cards true uh, uh, let's see 
Next up, we have uh, Foil Scytherix the Blight Dragon out of Scars of Mirrodin. The uh, giant can be hasty, has in fact, can regenerate dragon. Uh, foils have gone from 70 to apparently $270. Probably not a real price. You should sell at this high price if you can. Yeah, this is a situation where you see a price pop up on a price index site. Understand that that's a posted price not market price. You want to double check what market actually is, and it's going to be close to the original price in, in, in this price comparison. So if it was going for 70, now the only one is listed at 270, you're probably aiming to sell somewhere between you know, 80 and 120 or something. And if you put it out there and you've got decent reach with your, your sale post, then you'll probably get that deal done because People don't really know what the price is, so they're making their own judgments on utility. There are some very optimistic people on TCG Player right now. <laughs> Altered Ego Foils uh, out of Shadows over Innistrad going from 2 to 10. That's certainly on the back of Gyruda. Probably Gyruda Pioneer, if I'm not mistaken, makes use of Altered Ego. It's also really good with Zexar. Okay. So you've uh, and got, that... you know, double trouble. Right. And then Brand out of Urza's Saga, non-foils going from 2 to 20 plus, probably also not a real price. That's the card that lets you take back control of permanence that you own and has cycling. There's The explanation uh, pro-offered by somebody in our Discord was that there's a rumor this is going to get reprinted in M21, uh, potentially as anti-agent of treachery tech and adding options for cycling to standard. If that's the case, uh, and no one's playing paper standard, I don't really want to be holding $20 plus brands. Uh, I, I don't see this as being a situation where the original printing is going to hold that price point, since it's unclear how much standard paper is going to get played in the next three to six months. Uh, if I can get out of a brand I've got sitting around anywhere between 10 and $20, I'd be more than happy. Um, I'm down for that, too. Uh, there are... No foils of this available. It's not a heavily played uh, commander card. This is a really niche solution to the uh, Luca Fires Yorion decks. Um, but sure, if you if you've got extras, I would absolutely uh, be trying to get rid of them. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mess around. I would, I would go back and compare this to situations where certain mo goblins have been reintroduced to modern and original printings have suddenly garnered attention. Uh, Unearth being reprinted in Modern Horizons is another good example um, of when an original printing popped off on the basis that you could use Unearth with like Death Shadow and stuff. The results for me have been pretty mixed in those scenarios the the hype window may not pay off in terms of meta representation <laughs> which is not unusual so you definitely don't want to be holding through to see what's actually happening with brand i think you just go ahead and sell yep i'm with you on that all right so moving over to magic online relatively short list of things that popped at least 30 percent we have fabro elder out of eldraine going from eight to ten that's two dollar gain about 30 percent What's interesting here is that you're seeing EDH cards move the needle on Magic Online more often since COVID because that's the only way EDH people can get their fix unless they're willing to go through setting up cameras and so forth and not everybody's in that situation. So 
we've been starting to talk about how do you suss out, um, you know, picking commander specs on Magic Online because it's not as simple as looking at EDH rec because there are other factors in play on the Magic Online economy in terms of is it included in treasure chests um, and what is the current price based on all of the different dynamics on that platform. So it is a little more tricky, but I think that the super staples are still, you know, things like a Faber or Elder that just fit into every multicolored deck that's running the colors will tend to do better than things that are highly specific. Uh, you know, open-ended synergy is still your best friend. Yep. Um, I've tried to set up the webcam thing, and uh, you're right. It is a royal pain in the tuckus. So uh, people wanting to play Commander Online, it's not great on Magic Online. It requires a lot of zoom in and zoom out. But, you know, it it's, it's a way to play, and there's a reason why it's the format that drives so much is because there's a lot of fun ways to play it and you want to get that fix in so it do you think that these uh price points will hold once people can play in person again i wouldn't want to risk that generally speaking on magic online i want to be holding cards a lot less uh for for a lot less time (laughs) The average, the the good smart plays on Magic Online are tend to be measured in hours, not in weeks, months, or years. So I'm not interested in 18 month holds on Magic Online. Um, for instance, right now with the War drafts being rebooted, uh, all of the relevant rares in War of the Spark are crashing. So your play there was to, you know, sell the ones out of your collection over the last few days and then buy them back at their lows. Or if you really want to get sexy about it, you can be shorting them. You don't want to be trying to figure out what EDH card is going to be popular in 24 months, especially given the constant focus on EDH and the, the churn in that meta. All right. I'm down for that. All right. So Jengoth of the Wellspring, of course, was a card that won, uh, won the modern super qualifier this week as a sideboard companion for the Eldrazi Tron deck. So not tremendously surprising to see it up 30% or so um, as people picked up copies to add to their Tron decks. Finale of Devastation is big deal card in the Yorion creature combo, which is basically like every green-white uh, creature combo in modern all at once with Yorion in the board and you use Finale to go find them. Uh, going from 281 to 375 or so, about a dollar, 33% gains. Brokos Apex of Forever representing uh, early gains for a mythic out of Ikoria from $5.25 to $7 or so. That's surprisingly high uh, given that it's primarily an EDH card. The next one's not a surprise though. The Great Henge is a big deal EDH card out of Eldraine going from $34 to $47. Pretty high for a mythic that's only six months old. Uh, but the value has got to go somewhere in these sets. Yep. And uh, it's it seems like just enough standard play to remind you of it because every once in a while people say, "Oh my God, that's right! It's really good to draw a card every time you play a creature." There's also so, a mono green pioneer deck that uses it, so it is it is a multi format card. Yeah, and uh, it bumping to uh, forty seven just means it's uh, that much of a 
stronger candidate to appear in a treasure chest, like to keep people intrigued, you think? I can't remember if this is already in treasure chests or not. I'd have to double check. Okay. Uh, I suspect not, but uh, maybe we can update people on that next week. Thousand Year Storm was moving in both paper and online. It was uh, the biggest gainer on Magic Online this week out of Guilds of Ravnica on the back of Kalamax being one of the most popular commanders of the week. So going from 630 or so to $9 for about 40% gains. And that rounds things up. Not a lot of action in Pioneer or Modern. Looks like people are probably sitting on their hands waiting to see what's going to go on with uh, companions before they commit too much to a meta that is currently unknown. Plus, there's a um, a big arena thing this weekend that's coming up, right? The um, win two thousand dollars. Yeah, the there's the it. basically the online GP or yeah, Magic Fest go kicks 14, off this weekend. Yeah, fourteen and zero to win two grand. Uh, I should also mention that we are starting our own tournament series for MTG oh, Price Pro true. Traders that starts on Friday. I think the way we're going to run it is. Uh, randomly assigned sealed pools uh, of Ikoria cards, and folks are going to go import those decklists into Arena and play against each other. And they're going to have two weeks to play, I think, max of 10 matches. So like three losses or uh, or maybe seven matches. Like same way that Arena normally works. Like either you win seven times or lose three times to get knocked out. And then we'll break to top eight. And I think we're putting up a double Masters box for first place. Uh, $100 in store credit with Cool Stuff Inc., our lovely sponsor, for second place. And third place will be a free year's subscription to MTG Price Pro Trader, which is currently worth about 80 bucks. It's worth way more than that, sir. You know that. Ah, that's the price we charge anyway. That's what we um, charge. So yeah, we're excited to fool around with that and see how it goes. It's uh, uh, I did have the pleasure of getting my ass kicked by Cliff earlier this week. Oh, uh, uh, that was doing just, a little bit of te- uh, doing a little bit of testing with some, uh, some Ikoria sealed pools, and uh, being the being on the receiving end of boot nipper plus porky parrot is never fun. Oh, it was so good. So good. It it, it occurs to me that when I'm when I'm drafting that that pair, I often forget to focus on the other death touch creature. Uh, That mutate one insatiable. Yeah, hemophage. Hemophage. Yeah, Uh, I just really want to have as many opportunities as possible to load up that porky parrot. Really do. Uh, all right, let's get to our topics of the week. Uh, Such with, a busy week for a business under the threat of COVID shutting it down. Really, like, I, it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that all of this stuff happened in a week. Like, what do they do for an encore? Like, who decided we needed to do all <laughs> three of these uh, were planned things? So we, we had been on top of the rumor of a master set for late summer for a little while that's been floating around but the specifics of this set if you had asked me what the set was going to be i would have guessed that it was going to focus on modern and pioneer staples and and it may well be a combination of that plus edh like that would be my best guess still but i didn't see the double masters meaning two rares two foils per pack and though we have 
prophesized early, at earlier points on this cast that they would keep pushing the collector booster premise even further and that we would be looking at a $500 or $1,000 product within a year or two. I'm, I, I'm not... I'm still a little surprised that they went ahead and said, you know what? COVID be damned. We're just going to roll out this VIP <laughs> edition of Double Masters. We've already got it in the hopper. You know, why wait? You know, these things are probably going to be $400, $500, $600 versions of collector booster boxes. They might have the foil versions of the box toppers from the regular boxes. Maybe not. They're 35 card packs. The the costing I'm hearing from the distributor level on these things is supposedly something like uh, $68 per pack. I mean, it's a 35 card pack. So you're looking, that's like two and a sure. half packs. So... Sure, but $68 a pack. Like, I I need to see the final details on this before I get too excited. That's a really high number. That's going to make a a really big... It's a super collector booster, you know? Um, I think their choice of VIP name, their choice of calling it the VIP, is either brilliant or awful. Terrible. And I'm still not sure which. No, it's just terrible. It's so tone deaf. No, no, no. It is tone deaf. I'll give you that. But it is going directly to... The psychology of the people who want to buy it. I, I'm not sure that it is. I, I think that if I, I typically, when I think about whales, I always go back to my father because he's too, <laughs> <Your> dad. <laughs> he, he, he's too busy, generally speaking, to stay on top of all of this. But once he trips over what's going on, and it's hardly ever from me because he never bothers to ask, the, he'll trip over a listing somewhere, cool stuff or whatever. For this VIP product, they'll be asking five forty nine. He'll just throw it in the cart and buy it. Won't really think too much about what it is. The price is what it is. He buys it, etc. I think he thinks of himself as a collector, and so the collector booster already was an appropriate label because this is more than a collector booster. They started, you know, somebody in marketing was like, the language has to up the game a little. It has to be even more cool and exclusive than collector so what's right. better than that well every club flyer i've ever seen said i was a vip so i guess this is the vip edition i need to give people a little context on your dad because i remember clearly at gp vegas two years ago three years ago two years i think two years two years um uh we were sitting down to dinner and your dad just like takes out his bag and just flashes like a revised starter that he bought at the <laughs> that convention he paid too center. Much for, yeah. yeah, he's just like, hey, I picked this up. And I'm just like, it's just loose plastic. I remember how flimsy that plastic wrapper was. Like, <laughs> your dad does, he'll, he will just straight buy it. He is that, that type. But I, I also think you're right about the exclusivity. The people who buy this want that feeling. Like, I have something that most people can't get. And for the people who are going to spend a lot of money, that's the that's the dopamine rush. That's the acquisition. That's the I'm validating myself image with it. That's why it works on people. And, and so, it's funny. It's funny because <clears throat> on social media, where I am constantly arguing for people to accept a realistic viewpoint on what the magic economy is all about and where it is headed. Brother, I will start the timer on you on this. You you're not going to start Twitter wars again. Fo- folks Go. will constantly assume that i'm 
not explaining, I'm defending. That I want the magic economy to be what it is. When in fact, from a player perspective, I agree with many other players that if, if I could get the same quality play experience from a living card game version of magic, then obviously that's better for all of us. A living card game being a game where they publish it, there's no limitate, there's no real rarity, there's no pub, there's no limitation on print run per se. You can go pick up the latest edition of something for twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty dollars, and for a couple hundred bucks a year, you'd be guaranteed to have everything in the game. There's lots of games out there like that. I own copies of Ascension. I don't know if you played that game. Various deck building games have made use of this model. But what I try to explain to people and Lots of other people in the vending community and, and MTG Finance community have done the same. Is that the vibrancy, the continuity, the the reality that magic has never been out of print for almost thirty years, is all rooted in the extremely capitalist foundations of this game. And while we all have plenty of reason to be criticizing capitalism and f- and railing against its worst outcomes, uh, both socially and economically. I don't believe that that magic is a useful or effective battleground to be waging those wars. You want to, you know, want me to get step up on the front lines of a protest with you about reduced healthcare costs or something? Totally right there with you. But fighting uh, fighting with a profit monster like Hasbro a publicly owned corporation that no matter what we say is always going to pursue profit above all else. The only effective vote that matters is with your wallet. You either buy the products or you don't buy the products. Period. It, it, the reason they keep it ramping up this product mix to include more and more expensive versions is because it's working. Secret layers worked. Collector boosters worked. Masterpieces worked. All of these things that have added additionally expensive game pieces, where instead of waiting 10 years for a Judge Foil Gaia's Cradle to top $1,000, you have an Amano Lily alt art anime buy listing for $1,000 in Japan in the same year it was printed. That, that's, that's success. That's results from their perspective. And they are going to continue to pursue that. So as a Magic player, you can feel bad about not being able to afford some of this stuff, or you can just accept that the game is big enough, broad enough, old enough, that it makes perfect sense that there is going to be a Lamborghini version of the collectibles in the game. And for the most part, you can ignore those things. You don't need them to play. The fetch land argument, you know, how often they reprint fetches, at least is rooted in it being a key card in multiple formats. But the premium argument really just feels like people let their egos get the better of them. You, you're you better off in many cases just ignoring this stuff, especially if you can't afford it. And yeah. while I fu- really do think it's ridiculous and tone deaf to name a product VIP, because um, very important person is just icky from all angles uh (laughs) like in no way would i ever support labeling a more expensive product as a reflection of the person's value (laughs) as opposed to the cards they've been dealt in life and the resources they therefore have access to Uh, well 
I, so it's, I agree. It, that... It's nasty in terms of the marketing. It's not worth complaining about in terms of the product mix. It's true. And you, you mentioned something that I tell people on a far too frequent basis. Um, the premium versions of stuff are not what you need to play. Um, they have made the mistake a couple of times. Uh, Nexus of Fate is the biggest offender that comes to mind, where there was some uh, artificially low supply problem with a card that became popular, um, and they that that they need to make sure they don't do. But like Double Masters is all reprints. And yeah, so let's get, let's get into some of the details on this set. It releases August seventh, twenty twenty. Pre-orders have already gone up for some places. Uh, folks have been were suggesting these were going to be three hundred to three hundred and fifty dollars boxes, which is pretty close to what we saw at the high end of retail for Ultimate Masters. But I was buying that set around two sixty five, I believe, via eBay flash sales relatively early on from the vendors that are high volume, low margin. Um, some I think a vendor in Las Vegas posted some boxes at two twenty the other day which were snap purchased by some of our members and locals in the Nevada area. I suspect that 230 to 260 is the sweet spot we're aiming for here. And the set is 332 cards. As you said, it's all reprints. There is 24 packs in the box. They are 15 card booster packs, but the packs have two rares and two foils. And those foils can be up to two additional rares or mythics. So if you assume a relatively solid product, like card mix in this set, the implication is that if it sells extremely well and is broadly distributed along the lines of what happened with Modern Horizons, a lot of these cards should crash pretty hard. And it will then just become a question of whether they can recover. The foils of some of these cards in in particular might be very challenged. If this set had something like a smothering tithe in it, in foil using the same art, and those foils are very uh, a lot easier to come by, it should hurt the price of the foils. Now, these boxes also have a box topper a la Ultimate Masters, and I think that comes from 40 of the cards in the set, probably rares and mythics, and they have alt art. So in Ultimate Masters, they were just uh, borderless versions of the art that was already used in the set. In this case, they have completely different art. So we've already seen that Doubling Season is in the set, and it uses the art that it's already... The really cool playmat art that we've already seen before. And then the box topper version is two dinosaurs coming out of an egg. What's not clear to me yet is whether the non-foil box toppers show up in the VIP packs as foils. I'm guessing that's the case, but in the vendor solicitations I saw from the distribution level, it didn't mention that specifically. So it's not clear to me whether the 35 card VIP packs just have a bunch of box toppers, like two, three, four, five box toppers per pack, hence justifying the, you know, potentially 60 to $100 per pack kind of price point that people have been throwing around, um, or if there's something else going on there. It's also worth pointing out that this set is being published in, whereas Modern Horizons was only published in Russian, Japanese, and English, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember the languages. I 
think that's true, right? Modern Horizons was in... Because we bought Russian, lots of. Uh, and Japanese was certainly floating around. But I think that there are more languages. Now, we just got collector boosters for Ikoria in French, which surprised me. That wasn't a language I thought they would be adding ahead of Russian. Uh... But anyway, for double masters, we're getting it in English, French, German, simplifies, simplified Chinese, and Japanese. So no Russian. Uh, so the Japanese and the German are the coolest non-English versions. And I would expect that the box toppers from those from the Japanese in particular are going to be very sought after. Because uh, Mike Turian confirmed to me on Twitter that the box toppers, unlike Ultimate Masters, where they were all English, and the masterpieces, which have always only been English, uh, are going to be in the language of the country, uh, uh, the language of the box. So if you get a Japanese box of Double Masters, your box toppers are also Japanese. And the that VIP... is an opportunity for some really, really rare combinations of foil and language. Yeah. Well, in the VIP packs... If that is the only source of foil box topper art, they only come in English and Japanese, I believe. So that means you could have foil Japanese box topper doubling season. I, I don't even want to think about what the price points on those cards are going to be. That means that means that there's a foil Japanese mana crypt, if there are foils. And even if there aren't foils, there's a Japanese box topper mana crypt. So all, all of this is going to be pretty crazy. On Magic Online, Double Masters is apparently going to sell for 7 bucks a booster. So even though Wizards doesn't have an official MSRP, that does sort of suggest that it's going to be priced fairly similarly to Modern Horizons. I, I've heard that the regular box price from distributors to vendors for a lot of vendors is going to be somewhere around 190 a box. So that's, that's a higher than it was for Modern Horizons. And suggests that People selling under 240, 250 are going to be making that volume play or just trying to build goodwill in their local communities, get people to, in the door. Um, I, I suspect that vendors that can afford to do so are going to get max allotment on this because it sounds like a pretty dynamic, interesting set um, with a lot of needed reprints. Notably, the fetches have been waived off as being not included, so we're still expecting those to either be box toppers in Zendikar 3 or pack rares in commander legends in november doubling double master double masters i would guess will be you know the mtg finance event of the year and the only question is how many specs that we're currently holding are likely to get burned <laughs> along the way <laughs> now rudy over on alpha investments the uh, a figure we don't talk about a whole lot on this show, mostly because I we, we believe that channel is mostly uh, full of misinformation that will lead people astray. Did post a pretty interesting uh, video where he was talking talking about uh, getting leaked what was in Double Masters as early as February, and he labeled that. Force of Will, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Urza Lands, Thoughtseize, Mox Opal, Mana Crypt, and Karn the Liberator were all in this set. And you can assume that 
Urza lands are not mythics, but all the rest of those will be. Force of Will and Jason the Mind Sculptor weren't great specs heading into this, so people probably weren't holding. Thoughtseize, you had a chance to offload those when Pioneer was a thing last fall. Mox Opal got banned uh, in a relevant format not so long ago. Uh, is, is Mox Opal banned in Modern? Yeah, in Modern. Yes. Uh, Mana Crypt, of course, we just got in Mystery Boosters, so people, our pro traders that picked those up between $70 and $100 over in Europe are probably a little off-put that we're seeing another version so soon, though it is one of the more resilient EDH cards imaginable. I think that it will experience some downward pressure here just because we've still got mystery booster boxes that are headed for free to LGSs to help them out due to COVID, which should flood the market with some more uh, mana crypts. And then very shortly thereafter, within two months, you're getting another influx of mana crypts from Double Masters. So we could see that card head under $100 and park there for a while before eventually recovering. True, true. And then Karn the Liberator finishes off this list. Fortunately, not a lot of mythics on this list that worry me from a spec perspective, because most of the stuff isn't stuff we would have been, you know, discussing with other people to hold. Well, we also if, know if you that believe that that list is real, which it could, you know, remains to be seen. I am. Let's uh, let's say I'm skeptical of Rudy. Um, I would not presume that. Uh, his, uh, how do I put this? Um, I don't know who his sources are, but a lot of the other stuff that's gone on in his channel has been exceedingly clickbaity, and uh, I would not, um, yeah, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. Um, I'd take this with a grain of salt. And like you said, the the spec list is not a great one you know it's not like things you want to pick up these are things that are uh like this bad time to try and sell mana crypts now uh we know blight steel is in and doubling season uh, doubling season kalia kalia is in there yeah atraxa atraxa you get to get to get a uh foil japanese box topper for your atraxa deck james how does that make you feel i already have a stained glass custom oh, that's uh, for true. atraxa so I'm, I'm good. But uh, Atraxa and Kalia are good examples because they're both things I buy listed in the last 12 months. The, they were already doing well heading out. Of, like Atraxa was a pickup ahead of War of the Spark on the basis that Planeswalkers might make Atraxa uh, even that much more popular. And indeed, that's what happened. Doubling season sold well that time of year, a year ago as well. So so far, doubling season sells well any time of the year, but they can they can print that in every they could print that yearly and it would still be a thirty dollar card. I'm of the opinion that if you print something like that yearly, you will eventually see uh, that the cur- there's a curve that describes how constant printings will impact price. We've seen things that so like Soul Ring, the penultimate staple of EDH. Um, when it was on a single printing per year cycle, it was a constant moneymaker for us on buy lists because you would just buy them when the commander decks came out and they hit their lows, pick up two or 300 copies overseas, bring them over, wait six months, and then arbitrage them to Card Kingdom for like 40% gains or whatever. I'm skeptical that you can still do that now that the commander decks are 
basically coming out with every set, it looks like. Um, every standard set, anyway. Uh, and I think that something like Doubling Season, if you print it every three years, will kind of always just go through the cycle of getting up to $40, $50, $60, then getting pushed back down towards 25 or 30 and then working its way back up. But if I think if you print them every year, then you do start to overtake the demand. Um, so it will be interesting to see how some of this plays out. But the point, core point I'm trying to make is that most of the stuff that we know is in the set so far, we already should have been out on. Um, a lot of this stuff is not, you know, within the spec time frame we're generally working with. And that's why even though this year has had tons of reprints and has tons more to come and is certain to hit some specs, the window we're generally fine. working with is 6 to 36 months from our initial release. And that is the period of time where you are the least likely to catch a reprint. Yeah. Doesn't mean um, doesn't mean you're invulnerable at this point. They've shown that they're willing to reprint stuff multiple times per year when it suits them. Challenger decks, for instance, uh, are a major challenge to standard specs in general. Uh, now that they print cards from the year of initial release in Challenger decks instead of waiting an extra year. But for the most part, that doesn't describe the kind of things we're telling people to go after. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm with you. I, I agree. I I think that doubling season is um, like the most eye popping of casual cards. Like you see it, it doesn't matter what level of casual player you are, whether you're a competitive EDH player or you build 78 card decks with your friends that have eight of certain copies because that's what you do. Like doubling season is always going to be like, I get to do twice as much and you're just going to run with that. So I've, I think it's been Mythic the last... Uh, it was Mythic in Battlebond, but it was rare in Modern Masters and uh, original Ravnica. Like, I think if it was Mythic yearly, it would it would hold a pretty high price. But I, I see what you're saying about Soul Ring. Um, speaking of things we can spend our money on this summer... Well, was there anything else you wanted to say about Double Masters? before? No, we'll readdress this once we have more details on the composition of the VIP boosters and market pricing and so forth. So James, uh, how much would you pay for the uh, allied? Wait, no, it's the enemies. Enemy fetches in secret lair mega ultra double secret probation drop. So we knew a bundle was coming for secret lair that was going to be another access point for the fetch lands that were included in the secret lair ultimate that was sent to LGSs. We did not know what the composition of that uh, bundle of secret layer drops was going to be until this week where they announced the summer super uh, secret layer bundle. Uh, I think it's fair to say that this is pretty good. Like better, better than I expect of any group of secret layer drops. I usually expect kind of two or three of them to be pretty meh and i think this one is fairly strong in terms of its addressable market so we've got five new sets coming one is a tattoo themed set that has spell pierce blood artist eternal witness python needle and ink moth nexus not a huge uh you know value on those five cards in their regular versions but i think that there are enough tattoo artists art 
fans out there that this is probably going to do pretty well. The Blood Artist card, I think, threw some people for the loop, for a loop because it's a little cheesy. Um, and whether or not you like this style of art overall is going to be a pretty personal decision. But the prices on there, these, given that the entire bundle comes with a, fet, a Zendikar fetch land, seem entirely reasonable to me. Like the the tattoo art one is thirty bucks. There's one called uh, Heart of Steel that comes with alt art, Walking Ballista, Arcbound Ravager, and Dark Steel Colossus. Uh, Walking Ballista being the real highlight there. Um, that one goes for forty bucks. And then we've got a thing called The Path Not Traveled, which I think is the series I like the least. This is four planeswalkers that are supposedly living their best lives in some alternate dimension. It's got Ajani Steadfast, Domri Rad, uh, Tamio Field Researcher, and Vraska Golgari Queen. Vraska is probably the most played of those cards. They're all like see an okay level of play in EDH. I mostly hate how the art turned out for these but i think other people will disagree it's again a pretty personal choice um this one goes for 40 as well so basically 10 bucks a planeswalker and they are are those ones foil all of these are foil yeah those are foil uh, well no the, the tattoo pack is not foil they're alt art uh heart of steel oh, okay. is foil and path not traveled is foil and then the lightning bolt pack is four different alt art lightning bolts so the cute thing here is that if you want to sell somebody a play set of these you got to buy a minimum of four of these because you're getting one of each lightning bolt so unless you want mismatched bolts uh these will sell pretty well people seem pretty split on whether they actually like the art for these i like three of the four just fine i think the one of them, the one with the really white kind of zig- zigzag bolt is just a, the composition is less uh, interesting to me. But the fact that they're full art foil bolts suggests to me that this is going to be a winner. Um, and this is 30 bucks. So you're basically 750 for a foil bolt. There's tons of versions of bolts out there, but it's still lightning bolt. It's iconic. Uh, and you get well, I'll get back to that in a second. The last drop is called Ornithog- Ornithological Studies, and it's all bird-related cards. Baleful Strix, Birds of Paradise, Dovescape, Gilded Goose, and Swan Swansong. Uh, arguably, Birds of Paradise uh, has the highest demand profile there, probably followed by Gilded Goose, and then Baleful Strix, Swan Song, and then Dovescape. So at 30 bucks, this seems pretty fine. Gilded Goose is going to see lots of play in, in Pioneer and, and Modern and EDH. Baleful Strix is primarily a legacy card, but also sees EDH play. And Birds of Paradise is a perennial super stable. Um, the art on these is quite nice. The Birds of Paradise especially so. And I would call this one a win as well. What do you think? I'm surprised that they didn't do um, the birds in foil. Because the people who like birds also tend to like shiny things. Um, I get why they didn't do foil on the tattoo ones. That would probably not vibe well with with what they're going for but i think they should have done the birds in foil that's my only beef um i mean you can't uh, you can't make the argument that the market for the cards given that the the secret layer foils are infamous for being heavily bent yeah when they arrive um i think in Is part a, because of the foil I'm, treatment they're using and in part because the packaging does not include uh, a silica gel pack which is a mistake 
um, and the way that they are packed in there or, basically or puts them in a loader. pocket of air. Yeah, exactly. So the way that they are packaged leaves them in a pocket of air. So they're subject to the moisture content of that air for days, weeks, or months before they ever get to players. I mean, some of the uh, stargazing sets ordered in the winter are still sitting in a warehouse somewhere, and they're going to be bent like no tomorrow by the time they get to people's doors this summer. Um, so there's a little more to this. In the very first set of secret layer drops back in November, they gave us magic online sleeve codes. And then in the subsequent releases, they walked that back and they were only giving us uh, arena codes. And you can't easily unload arena codes uh, to bots. So the implied value of the bonus codes was a little less in the subsequent releases. I think I got real lucky on the first secret layer drop. I bought a bundle. And the thing with the codes is as soon as they confirm the bundle before they ship it, they send you the code. So I immediately went to GoatBots and waited until they added their buy list for the codes. And because I was one of the first people to sell to them, I got 70 tickets for the codes from the bundle. Keeping in mind that the bundle was $150 or whatever. So half of the cost of the bundle was covered just by the Magic Online codes. And I think since then, it's been more typical to get, with the arena codes, get two, three, four, five dollars $5 for those codes. Um, which is nice. Uh, in this case, with the bundle, we're back to getting Magic Online card sleeves for each of the five things in the bundle, as well as getting arena codes. So, uh, actually, no, it looks like we're getting non-foil copies of each card in Ornithological Studies. Uh, uh, you're getting non-foils on Magic Online, one of each for each uh, one you buy. So you're getting, right. um, you're going to get one of, if you buy the whole uh, super drop, you're going to get uh, one of each of all the things we just said. And uh, you will have the chance um, if the the timing works out. I, I don't think that um, they'll set the prices as aggressively as they did uh, for the drop that you did. But then again, the cards that are in here are also um, a very different level of playability. You know, like you've got a, a play set of lightning bolts and on Magic Online, you might not care about trying to get all four matching arts because, well... Well, no, you probably will. This, it, you, the, yeah, you do, huh? Because they can thought seize your hand and make note of which art you have. It, just, oh, it drives me nuts, the, the little things. It's like uh, everybody has to play snow-covered lands, so we can't play cool other lands anymore. You know, you can't play with your foil onslaught lands or whatever. Yeah, I mean, financially, the bottom line is this. Because they're get, on Magic Online, you're getting the cards and not sleeves or treatments or whatever. The mm -hmm. I would guess they will get to exit night of, like the night that the codes are first released. You're probably going to get to get out at $20 or $30 on those codes. And, that's a reasonable guess. And that's real good. Like If you can get the $150 bundle and say... $20 of it is covered by the Magic Online codes and say another $5 or $10 by the Arena codes. Let's just say for argument's sake you're getting 25 bucks out of that. So you're getting the bundle for 125 Then, if you order the bundle, and only if you order the bundle, you get one of these Zendikar Fetch lands. So you're getting Marsh Flats or Scalding Tarn or Misty Rainforest, Arid Mesa or Verdant Catacombs. And they have already been 
holding their price points real well on TCG Player, etc. So let's say that the average value there is 50 bucks. Then you're getting all five of these drops for something like $75. So $15 a drop. My guess is that this is going to sell very, very well as a bundle, despite COVID. And you might end up with 20,000 plus copies of each of these individual sets out there floating around in the market. And that even and, and that if people get lucky with the shipping lottery, they are probably going to be a lock to make somewhere between 15 and 40% returns within a couple of weeks. And what I mean by that is you got to remember how secret layers are distributed even in the best of times. Generally, what happens is it seems like Wizards puts aside about 10,000 units that they have pre-printed, and those are ready to ship pretty much as soon as you order. And if you get in on it, you place your order early enough, and you're in that first 10,000, you'll get your stuff within a week or so. Then they go back to the presses and they print whatever extra was ordered. So if Stargazing, for instance, sold 27,000 units or whatever, the first 10,000 ship right away and the other people have been waiting ever since. You really want to be selling into the FOMO hype, hype cycle, so you really want to be in the first 10,000, so you really want to be on the ball. Now, the, the tricky part is some people in our Discord have said that they felt like they were right away and still didn't get shipped in the first 10,000. So it's not entirely clear <laughs> that being the early bird automatically gets you shipped first. There could be some mismanagement of order, the order of orders on the distribution level that might interfere with that. But it's still a great idea to be the early bird. You want to be ordering early, you want to be selling your codes early, and I think you're going to do just fine with this set. Now, one more thing I want to mention that is different is that they're selling it for two weeks. The bundle will be available from June 1 to June 15. So the FOMO is going to be a little less, but still, it, there, there will still be plenty of people who, uh, it do, the timing doesn't work out, uh, they're out of work, uh, there's a whole lot of people um, who can't work. Um, but it's not a 24-hour drop, it's a two-week drop. Well, they were like never, they are, the bundles were never 24-hour. They were usually, uh, wait, no, am I, am I wrong about that? It's I, possible, I think that in early drops, the bundle was the first day, and then the individual drops yeah. were the subsequent were the subsequent days of the week. And it's hard to remember with all these different things. If if, if, you, if I recall correctly, yeah. So this is a, this, this is a us, smart you know, experiment on Watsi's part because what would happen otherwise is that if you have a very short window for ordering the bundle, then the people that order the bundle get the chance to flip them pretty much right away. Because if they get their shipping confirmation, they can go ahead and post it on eBay, knowing that it's going to arrive within a week or two, and then. They'll be, you know, eBay basically wants you to be able to ship within 30 days. If you can't, then you got trouble because people can start asking for refunds. So what Wizards is doing here is saying like, okay, you ordered day one. That's great for you, but you're probably not going to be able to flip for a little while. So anyone who FOMOs 10 days out can just go buy it from them, which is what they want. <laughs> they, they, they saw what happened to the market prices when they made the, that window of opportunity for the bundles really short. And they said, we're, we're bleeding profit there. That's going into hands of, you know, vendors and speculators and players that buy extra copies and flip. We'd like to have that money ourselves. So I don't think you want to wait till the end of the two weeks to see how things are going. I still think you want to order early and have them early. 
but your window of opportunity may be a little trickier because it you're not going to be able to you know sell into the FOMO hype quite as easily here. So players get more of an opportunity to notice what's going on, to save up some money and get involved. That's all good stuff. And ultimately, I don't think it's going to matter. I think that this, you're going to, a month out from, you know, the two-week interval, these are still going to be selling pretty well online. One of the reasons is that there will still be areas overseas that will not have easy access to these. Though it is worth noting, final point, I think Europe on this drop is getting their own inventory. So Europe doesn't have to pay uh, transcontinental shipping prices to import secret layers anymore. The secret layers are just going to be in a distribution warehouse in Europe and will ship from there, which makes it harder to arbitrage into Europe with this stuff. The cards will all be printed after the sale is concluded. Orders will ship as soon as inventory is available. We anticipate orders will ship from the U.S. around August 15 with European orders following on August 30. But final timeline is subject to change. Okay, so that you actually did flag an important point there. Wizards is telling us then that there's another change, contrary to what I just was talking about. The order early and you get to ship first clearly isn't going to apply here because of the COVID scenario. We already know that they have delayed the shipping of other secret layers. So the most recent one was the Godzilla lands. And they warned us that we weren't getting them for a few months. Probably because both the printer and or the distribution warehouse, both of which are third party, not actually controlled by Hasbro directly, have COVID issues. They can't run full staff or they're on, you know, because they're on skeleton staff, they can't get stuff out of the door as fast or they've just gone through periods of being completely shut down. And so Wizards hasn't had an opportunity with this version of Secret Layer to get to the presses. It tells us, gives us some good information though. That probably means that that secret layers are print printed normally inside two months of the launch of the release. Because if they were printed any earlier than that, the, the Wizards probably would have had the 10,000 copies on hand of this since this was planned months ago. So it suggests that this normally would have gone to press probably in April and didn't <laughs> or hasn't. And yeah, so, and so now they're just on a waiting list with a whole bunch of other clients at that press to get their projects printed based on whenever they get around to it. Um, so that means there's a two-week interval. Nobody really gets to pre-sale on eBay because you're not going to get it within 30 days. And you might get it two, three, four months out or even longer, depending on what happens with COVID. If the U.S. goes through a major resurgence of COVID and everyone's forced back indoors and the factories are forced to evacuate even further or go back to a skeleton staff then it's a triple question mark as to whether when and whether you will ever get these yeah i mean that said i'm still going to order them (laughs) i i don't think ordering them if you if you have it this is a pretty good deal for 170 especially given that you're gonna get I mean, what's the floor for the Arid Mesa on this? 50? 70? Like, that's your that's your worst one. That's your worst pull is the Arid Mesa. But you're still looking at the, the foil version of it, and that's going to take a big chunk no, of it off. No, they're, non, they're non-foils. The, I'm sorry, they're non-foil. Uh, so that that is uh, 
a bit less. These are not foil. Why did I think these were foil? But, but the thing is, you don't have to reference the like MM17 versions of those because we've already got TCG listings for the initial release of these based on sets that were sent to LGSs, right? So the price points have already been established uh, yeah, these, for the fetches. That's true too. So there's there's a lot of protection in here, and it's it's a, a good value. And just be, you know, be patient about getting uh, the fetches you want. They're, they've promised to reprint the fetches, and whatever they do, print the fetches in will hopefully be um, there'll be a lot of them because I'm tired. I, I'm really at the point where I'm about to like mute. I've already muted reserve list and RL. And I'm about to mute fetch, and I don't know what. All right, other so so here so here's the up. actual here's the actual prices of these fetches at present. You have sixty dollar market price on the Arid Mesa, seventy sixty eight on the Marsh Flats, one ten on the Misty Rainforest, one thirteen on the Skelding Turn, and a hundred on Verdant Catacombs. Now, when these all land in association with these bundles, you should see these prices go down. A significant right. amount. And there will certainly be some distraction away from these versions by whatever version is we are catching in the fall. And one of the interesting things that could happen here is that these fetches could be further injured by not actually making it into our hands until we also have the other reprinting on deck, which is not normally how this would have gone, right? We, If we're ordering these well, in the we, next couple of weeks, it seems we would normally have gotten the, these in our hands the fetches... in in June and been selling out of them before July and then either in the box toppers for Zendikar three or perhaps in commander legends, we would then have further fetches. If this all lands at the same time, then it probably creates some drag on these versions. But I think if you attribute even $40 on average, which I think is very, very reasonable and conservative to getting one of these five fetches, you're going to be in, Real good shape. I mean, $170, but 70 of it can probably be reasonably attributed to the magic online codes and the fetch. Minimal. Give or take. Okay. Which means that you're talking about $100 for the the five bundles. I think you're going to do just fine there. I think so, too. Uh, I think that if, if you just want to wait for a couple of singles... I think that's uh, that's fun too. I know my cube wants like three of the tattoos and no two tattoos, and uh, I got a couple of decks in mind that would really like this walking ballista. Uh, how is it a transform? Can I call it a transformer without invoking uh, some IP laws or anything? Like it well, looks ha- like ha- Hasbro controls transformer IP, so there's no issue. I there. know. But it, it and if this if they didn't, then there would definitely be some uh, legal talk about why this looks like Megatron or uh, any number of other Transformers. I mean, as a Transformer guy, I don't really see a specific Transformer in that picture, and I think that if they wanted if they wanted that be, to be the case, they just would have done it. Um, it has it has the look of a Transformer character, but I don't recognize a character in the in that particular art so my my guess is that the art direction referenced transformers <laughs> and the artist ran with that but don't make it a transformer yeah it's it's, it's gonna look it's a robot like a transformer <laughs> might have been the art direction that's, that um, I, right. I still think that we're going to get actual transformer cards uh 
at some point in the not too distant future is just too obvious of a crossover masters here we come well now that now that we've done godzilla i think the floodgates are open godzilla is an external license they had to negotiate for and probably pay for um whereas transformers is something completely under their control so they there's a transformers tcg and you know that might crossing the streams might give those teams pause but i also think we're going to see some D magic stuff like box toppers for zendikar if they aren't fetch lands and so forth could easily be D themed like that could be the the showcase art for zendikar because zendikar was always kind of premised as a uh dungeon crawly adventure as planet. An adventure yeah and now that they're not focusing on the Eldrazi, the alt art could very easily end up being very D&D themed. I, we could also go to an actual D&D plane sometime in the next couple of years, given how well D&D has been doing for Hasbro overall. Um, huge growth brand in the portfolio. So a crossover seems inevitable. All right. So final topic here, because it's busy, busy week. Uh, there is a player who caught a ban this week from professional play, uh, competitive play for Magic the Gathering on the basis that he had shared early the details of the competitive play changes that were announced recently, whereby the Pro Tour structure was largely dismantled and the prize pool for that series of tournaments was dismantled and replaced with online play via Magic Arena. Um, Decisions that were almost certainly decided upon based on what was going on with COVID and which injured many, many uh, semi-pro and pro magic players who were, you know, operating under the assumption that that those tournaments were and prize uh, pools were going to be the payoff for their commitment to the game at that level. But this part of the discussion is more about what happened with Austin Austin Bursevich specifically. He's the Grand Prix Dallas champion, regular streamer, and apparently somebody in the professional uh, set of Magic Pros that is on the uh, MPL gravy train probably leaked this information to him. So somebody from Rivals or MPL. And Wizards went after him asking who it was that told him, and he refused to tell them, and so he is now banned from competitive play. And many Magic players took exception to this because they believe it's just a nasty way of punishing a guy who, you know, wasn't going out of his way to track this information down or use it to injure wizards or anything. He was sharing it with other people because he thought it was the right thing to do so that everyone was on an even playing field in terms of expectations. Right. Um, He, he straight out said um, members of the MPL and rivals knew this and he just wanted to uh put it more out there and so not only did he have this like a week early he's saying that these people had been told by wizards these already high level players had been told two weeks early before wizards made this announcement so he's trying like you said he's trying to level the playing field a little bit and paid quite a price um he, I'm looking at the timeline, um, around, he lost his correction to arena around 215, 
Uh, he noted he this might was have last been banned. Weekend. Yeah, he noted he might have been banned from the program and tried to uh, create a new account. Uh, your failure to the email they sent him said your failure to cooperate with our investigation has resulted in your immediate suspension from the DCI Magic Online and Magic Arena. These accounts have all been suspended until further notice. During this time, you may not participate in any Magic event as a player, organizer, volunteer, or staff. Any invitations to premier events you may have at this time or may obtain during your suspension are revoked. So, like, they not only banned him from competitive play, they're like, you don't get to have an arena account and just play for gems, buddy. And that the hammer swinging in that method is why I don't ever really want to be associated with a primary source leak. <laughs> and why, if someone from Wizards actually contacted us and tried to feed us information, we would wave that off in a heartbeat. Not only would it feel like a trap, but it, it would be a trap no matter what. There, there is People think that we get off on the fact that we have like what they call insider trading knowledge. But the reality is that Knowing anything ahead of everybody else carries a burden. There's a burden to share that information, which was, you know, originally what we went for. Um, there is a a burden to figure out in what ways you can act on that information ethically. So, for instance, if I knew a card was being reprinted and I wanted to sell that card, I would feel obligated to inform that person that I have information asymmetry in play. Because I don't want that person to come back to me later and be like, ah, you fucker, you sold me that $100 card. And then the next day they announced that it was getting reprinted. No one wants to be in that situation. You have to be a bag of dicks to think that that's fun. So, <laughs> James, I, I, I don't want to be mean or crude, but what do you think people think you are, generally speaking? <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of people that think I'm a bag of dicks. The... Um, I mostly focus on making sure that we are well removed from primary sources. Not only do they have no reason to be talking to us, but I can well understand how this behavior from wizards is to be expected. And this is kind of the core point I'm trying to make people all the time is that expect the corporation publicly traded corporation to act as they always do. They are, if nothing else, incredibly reliable in terms of how they will handle these kinds of scenarios. So while what he did was admirable in terms of leveling the playing field, he should completely have understood he was going to pay that price. That's how they handle the person who releases the information first. And it puts egg on their face and they don't like it, so they responded. Is that correct or ethical? Nope. But almost nothing Hasbro does is going to be those two things. Like, <laughs> and again, it just, comes, it just comes back to the same thing over and over again. You have to vote with your participation. You have to vote with your wallets. If you don't like where Magic is headed, you don't like how they're handling competitive play, you don't like premium products, etc., stop buying the game. Because if you vo make your voice heard on social media but still keep purchasing at the same level or signing up for tournaments at the same level once they are back in play, etc., then nothing will change. Because this the profit monster responds to profit. So you have to you have to hurt them in the wallet or they will ignore you completely. 
I think one thing that people are losing sight of too is that um, the we must uh, identify um, leaks and we must uh, you know come down with a hammer. That is not the same as Morrow or Aaron Forsyth engaging with people on Twitter about companion mechanics or uh, the sweet commander builds. Like all this stuff is, you know, they're they're very. It's not even like different fingers on the same hand. You're talking like toenail versus eyelash in terms of, like, yes, they're on the same body, but what they do and what they interact with are very different things. And um, I don't. I'm trying to remember uh, who it was that got uh, a th like a three-year ban for leaking the new Phyrexia God book, and then his friend shared it on IRC. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember the individual's name, but yes, that was one of the the relevant examples of somebody sharing internal documents publicly and putting up their hand to take credit for it. And it, and it's, it is just fine. It's, it's, it's just it's just a foolish act. The the only those God books are supposedly don't exist, but we know that they probably do exist because when I saw the Nicol Bolas card from War of the Spark three months early. The picture that was snapped on someone's cell phone looked like it, it wasn't of the actual card. It was a picture of the card in what looked like to me like a god, god book because of the part of the layout I could see. That it looked like it was on a, a page that was probably other cards. And we could see like a sliver of the Oath of Ajani or something uh, in the bottom left corner. Uh, so if you see that stuff, your best bet is just report it to Wizards and move on. Because... If you go spreading it around, this hammer will get swung. And the ethics of whether they should swing it are kind of irrelevant. Again, Profit Monster going to do what Profit Monster do. So act accordingly. I would say also that um, if you think that it's not cool that um, these pros have access to information way before you... Uh, sorry? I'm not sure what exactly well, the average well, person can do about that though i mean that's also a point i try to make on the regular basis about leaks in general assume that in every industry the people closer to the action know more than you do information asymmetry is present everywhere in sports in the stock market in magic cards in every other collectible sphere in real estate in in everything that's why, you know, Wired Magazine, after criticizing, trying to write a hit piece on MTG Finance, is still constantly publishing leaks about iPhones. Because there is a market for that and a hunger for that information, because consumers don't have any specific obligation to not know things. And if the information leaks, it's going to be shared. So information is always flowing. Assume that vendors know more than you do. Assume that pros know more than you do. And again, act accordingly. Like in, interact with the game on that basis. You can advocate for change. You can advocate for a, an equal playing field, but the dynamics are not in place to support that. It makes sense that the Profit Monster shares information with its partners and sponsored players so that they can nurture those relationships. They're going to keep mm, doing it. That's guaranteed. a that's a good point too because uh, you want that that cozy happy relationship like you want to stay on wizard's good side so that not only 
will you be part of the Magic Pro League or part of Rivals? You'll be, um, you know, given a little more info. There's be a little something, something in it for you. Slimy. Yeah, I'm in. But true. It's, it's an ugly situation, but I'm not at all surprised at how it played out. The... We gotta move right along here. Uh, cards we to do. watch. Uh, stuff right. people should be taking a look at uh, for. I'm on generally a six to eighteen month horizon at this point, and if things happen faster, awesome. Uh, when things are normal, I prefer to be in and out of things in six to twelve months most of the time, and a lot of the time we're buy listing stuff even faster than that. But at this point, I think you you really want to be looking at the long term, looking at the cards that are very popular, hard to replenish with or without buy lists, and very likely to drain and not catch any kind of reprint danger. So first thing on my list, Fayboro Elder uh, Extended Arts. Looking at the foils, $25 to $40. Seems like a lock. We talked about this card early on. This was called more or less when it was revealed as something that was probably going to get there. Uh, 7,000 decks reported on EDH rec so far. It's got a 22% inclusion rate in the colors that can support it. That's key. That's a really high rate of inclusion and should suggest that the 7K is going to keep trucking and getting higher. Um, non-foils are also good near 7. If you don't like going after the foils and you would rather have non-foils for personal use or something, 7 bucks, you can pick those up right now. I think those will go 7 to 15 just as easy as the foils go 25 to 40. Uh, I love it. Um, I love this as a mana dork. I love it in five color decks. It's one of my happiest cards in my Niv-Mizzet Reborn Brawl deck because, uh, you know, you play Fabro Elder and then in a turn or two you play Niv Reborn and then you tap that puppy for five men and play one of the cards you just drew. It's really awesome. It's pretty rare to get something that you get so much more mana from than you put into it. And all you have to do is play it in a very multicolor environment, and at which point you're you're a winner. Um, I think that uh, I would probably go for um, the more premium versions of things at this point. We're we're going to talk more about that in a moment because my picks are much, uh, very much in line with that. But uh, yeah, this is a, a strong pick, and I need to make sure that I've got as many copies as I need for my decks. All right, what's your first pick of the week? My first pick is um, I bought all the Commander decks uh, way ahead of time. We had There was a pre-order like in January that I don't know if you remember, but um, I kept most of the card, uh, a few of the cards. I built Zaxara, Zaxara, and I needed a great hinge. I went online to buy one, and there were uh, eight uh, non-near-mint uh, extended art foils of the great hinge, and they ramped pretty quick from the 100 range up to like 130 so i'm picking it to go from around 95 to 140 sometime in the next 6 to 12 months um it's one of the best commander cards ever we mentioned it earlier um i bought mine literally yesterday for a hundred dollars and if you listen to this and want to go buy your own you're draining it that much quicker and uh, i think that it's going to be up there really quick because this card is just everything you want in commander this card is an interesting test because we this is another one we flagged early on with the, the extended arts were going to be a thing and i have to go back and check what the lowest price point we saw on the foils was but i suspect it was in the 50 or 60 dollar range on the extended arts 
I think I picked up Japanese copies in the 80 to 85 range, something like that, targeting about a similar exit as you're talking about here, like 140, 150. This is going to be an interesting test of whether cards like this are drained as hard as they are right now on TCG Player and on various vendors because of the COVID situation, and whether were that pressure to release, we would see them flood back into the market. Like, would this go to 40 listings tomorrow if TCG Direct was turned back on? Uh, It's hard to say. I mean, there's definitely some inventory absent in the market right now. But if the market drains hard enough and sets up a new plateau, that inventory might come in up closer to that new plateau. And so it's difficult to know what the full impact is going to be. But I will say this, whether whether it takes... Whether it takes three months or 12 months, I definitely see these sub $100 copies turning into at least $120, $130 copies, and they could easily be $140, $150, $160, because there just aren't going to be any left lying around. And it's not just TCG player um, explained by direct. Most vendors are out of stock of this stuff as well. Yeah, I just don't think there was ever that much in circulation. I think a whole lot of players opened these, and this was one of the more chase ones you could open. I think um, it went uh, Full Art Foil Oko and then Fabled Passage and then Great Hinge, or in some order there. But uh, I just think that every copy that got opened, somebody had a deck this could go into. And I just think not all that much went into circulation to begin with. Well, well, that and that last point is very key because the Throne of Eldraine collector boosters were the first time they did collector boosters. And they were printed at a lower print run. That's why we made such good money on them, flipping the boxes from like, I think, 190 to 260 or something within the first couple of weeks um, without even having to crack them. Uh, and so there's just less of the extended arts from Eldraine versus Theros or Ikoria or whatever's going to come next because they just, they hadn't, they weren't confident in the sales pattern yet. And so there's that factor. And then there's also just because they're collector booster exclusives, the faucet shuts off so much faster because once the collector boosters are all open, you can't replenish from the regular booster boxes that are present in standard that are fueling, that are getting cracked along the way via drafts or, or just, you know, packs sold in LGSs and whatever Walmart that are replenishing stock. It's all got to come from player collections. And as you said, once you have an extended art, if it fits in one of your decks, it's probably just going to live there forever in commander because this is a very unique card, pretty tough to replace it with something else. So, you know, these, these have an upward trajectory kind of locked in. And it'll also look good when um, they add a great hinge to something else. Like this would be a pretty easy thing if they hadn't planned for it being in Commander Masters, uh, this could go great in Commander Masters 2 next year or whenever the hell they do it. This is a, a, a reprint that will happen. It just won't happen in Extended Art Foil. Yeah, and it's not, and probably not going to get... Yeah, exactly. Commander Legends 2 would be a, a great place for this, but that's two, three years off. The, um, the other thing that's interesting here is, were we a couple months back, Great Hinges were sitting around at 20 bucks, Extended Art. They have recently been pressured up towards 40. Were they still at 20, I would say that 20 is probably your better bet because the 20 to 40 is, is easier than the 95 to 140. And that might still be true to go 40 to 80, 
But 40 to 80 non-foil is probably just as hard as 95 to 140 on the foil, so pick your poison. True enough. Uh, what's your next pick, James? So my next card to watch is, believe it or not, I almost can't believe I'm saying this, Oko Thief of Crowns Borderless Foils. Now, keep in mind, the Borderless Planeswalkers are showcases, not extended arts, even though they are easily mistaken as such. So they are, do not have any of the benefits of being collector booster box exclusives. However, that Oko being banned in a lot of relevant places, including Standard, Pioneer, and... Modern. Modern. Um, gives you plenty of reasons to pump the brakes on this card. But the foils for Oko are... 24 listings currently on TCG Player, starting at around $60 to $65. They ramp pretty hard up over 100 And keep in mind that this is still a relevant legacy card, it's still a relevant vintage card, it's still a relevant cube card, and it's completely legal in Commander, where any deck running green-blue has reason to play it. So, I'm not in a huge rush to acquire these, but picking up a couple of copies in the $60 to $70 range and hoping for a 100-plus exit seems fine. Especially if you've got a reason to be playing it in a commander deck. I think you could snap off a copy, throw it in the deck, hold it for a year or so, and then check back in. I think you're going to be doing just fine. I'm with you on that. I'm not in a in a hurry to target this one. You know, it's, it's going to grow slowly, but it is the premium version of a card that is proven to be degenerately powerful and that's the kind of thing that um you know your commander deck wants your cube wants uh there's always a chance of it making a splash in legacy so i i think this is a a a good place to put uh to get a couple but don't go crazy on I'm, i'm with you i'm with you yeah exactly so what's your next pick my next one is uh the uh, oh, I put down Eldraine. This is a, a Theros card. Um, is Nyx Bloom Ancient. The Mana Tripler. I think that the um, extended art foil that right now is going for uh, around 70 Uh Let me look up what it is. On Lowest price on TCG, currently 60 bucks. 60 bucks. So uh, from around 60, I think it's got a great chance to go significantly higher. And I think it will make an appearance uh, before too long in the range. Of, where did I put, where'd my spreadsheet go? Oh, here it is. Um, I think it'll uh, head up into the 120 range because it's already in 5,000 you know, listed commander decks. It is the dumbest thing possible to do with uh, Kinian where you now get, um, I'm not sure if it goes one, then triple, or triple, then one. Uh, judges can uh, uh, chime in on this. Uh, I know that this was a pick, you picked the Extended Art non-foils about three months ago. I'm just thinking that the the drain is so hard on these uh, right now that this is something that you should get the ones you want now, and this is going to... Something else is going to happen. They're going to pop off yet again. Yeah, I think we picked them to go 10 to 20 
in the non-foil version back in on January 28th, something like episode 204 or something like that. And I was buying all versions of this card at the time, uh, specifically in Japan where they were undervaluing it by a lot because um, EDH just isn't that popular there. So, you know, Japanese Nyx Bloom Ancient extended arts for 10 or $12 or whatever over there was just seemed completely ridiculous to me. And, you know, this the foils were 20 or 30 bucks cheaper at the time. So if you got in in January, you were in your best possible scenario. But given that there are 13 listings starting at 60 bucks and ramping to 100 pretty hard, hard to imagine this isn't going to do exactly the same thing as Great Henge. They are very similar cards. Super powerhouse green cards that fit into pretty much a lot of different green decks in Commander that have similar profiles as collector booster exclusives and mythics and, you know, reported number of copies in commander decks on EDH rec seems like a win at at minimum, very unlikely this is going to get any cheaper. So if you want just your single personal copy, this is still your moment. Yeah. Um, I, I will be sad the first time we get a reprint of an extended art or an extended art foil. But we haven't seen any of that yet, so I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that that's just not a thing because I've been looking for something safe ever since um, Collector Boosters came out, and I'm, I'm really hoping that this is the thing. It is entirely possible that we get um, Showcase Masters in two years, and it's nothing <laughs> but reprints of... Like, uh, I mean, it's not impossible. Think they're wouldn't doing you, things this year that, that, that two I would years draft the, the hell out the, of out of showcase masters. That sounds like a ton of fun. Okay, they, they're certainly doing things now that two years ago would have seemed ridiculous or impossible. Things like mystery boosters. Um, so anything is possible, but anything they have they have a lot of ways to go to the premium well with new treatments right. that that make that kind of thing less interesting. It's really hard, first of all, to create a draftable set just out of all the stuff that you've created masterpieces, box toppers, and so forth for, uh, and, and premium treatments. And it's just, they get away with giving us, you know, six different versions of Mana Crypt so easily that giving us the same version again doesn't really seem where you want to be. Better to just I... keep giving, feeding us new art, same card and see if collectors will just keep buying the same card over and over again because it's technically looks different. Um, yeah, that said, there's part, of, part can, of the rumor that was on it. 4chan last month uh, about M21 uh, suggested that Fabled Passage was going to see a reprint in that set. So man, if you buy, in, if you buy into that, it should, could be the first extended art reprint where you have a card that's printed twice in a standard in the same year, and you get extended arts of both uh, versions, and therefore, you know, becomes a fresh test of whether, you know, if they use different art, is the original extended art foil printing going to hold value, or would it fall to match the new one? I would suspect that it would sell slower if that was true, but only until the new versions drained out to the point where the prices converged, <laughs> at which point they probably hold prices uh, hand in hand. And 
my model for that is actually pre- previous printings of Masterpiece uh, Mana Crypt when it was released as a Judge Foil and a Masterpiece within like a year and a half span or whatever. And we saw well, that when we got Masterpiece Soul Ring, for instance, the Judge Foil Soul Rings were repressed for as long as Masterpiece Soul Rings were sub 120, which was about what the Judge Foils were going for. Once the Soul Ring Masterpiece pushed up to 300 to 400, you saw the Judge Foil Soul Rings rise as well. Because people started looking at those and going, well, I could just get this. This is also pretty cool. But then as they redirected their attention there, they started pushing the price or higher and the prices started to converge. So There is no question which is the cooler of those, by the way. It's a judge uh, foil by a long shot. Really? Oh, my God. Oh, I, man. I, I, I like the masterpiece better. Well, you can't be perfect. So that's all right. <laughs> Certainly am not. So uh, my final pick of the week is thematic compass the buy a box version this is on the back of search for Azcanta, growing rights of itlamok and primal amulet buy a box versions all having already demonstrated that the mapster pieces can get there thematic compass is the fourth most important of those according to edh rec it's in eleven thousand decks and you can pick up these buy box promos with the mat sweet foil map art on the back for seven dollars and I could see these going seven to fifteen within the year, pretty easily chasing the other three. Sold. Uh, this is the one that doubles the things, right? Or is this the one that finds lands? Uh, thematic compass is the one that goes and searches up lands on the yeah. first side, I believe. It's says... yeah, and then it's uh, maze of Ith on the back side. Correct. Maze yeah. of Ith, uh, ob- obviously a very useful card <laughs> in command. Well, and it taps for mana, so. You find your lands, and then you get to deal with whatever you know their blight steel that's attacking you. It's pretty sweet. Uh, I'm for it, and uh, the, all the buy boxes. This is a lot like a couple summers ago, where it was just each invention that was even moderately popular in Commander. Each one started having its day in the sun, and once yeah, this is you know what's next up. So um, good pick. I'm for it. I might go buy some. So, there are Japanese versions of this as well, and cheap versions of the buy boxes in general have been hanging around in Europe for ages, so our European listeners should certainly kick the can around and see what they can find, and there may still be cheap versions of Growing Rights and Thematic Compass kicking around in Japan. Always good now. You you alluded to a reprint of this a moment ago, uh, 4chan being the, the place that you said it would happen. Um, I think Fabled Passage is a card people should be stocking up on right now because the um, in February when the Challenger decks hit, the price took a dive. We are about to lose uh, Shocklands in Standard. And uh, if Fabled Passage is reprinted, um, in a lot of corsets going forward, then this will look bad. But um, even just the basic one at 13 is, I th- barring a reprint, uh, that would be... I, I can't think of a time when a card was in a fall set and then was reprinted in summer that wasn't like Evolving Wilds. 
Um, I can think of cards where it was in successive core sets, like the Buddy Lands, but this would be a, a new one on me, and uh, it will make me look really bad for this particular <laughs> pick. A 4chan post proves nothing. Yeah, well, it, but you're right. But the, the I, reason I, I that, the reason that post was flagged was because the per, the anonymous person that posted it had posted other information about other earlier sets that came true. If it had just been a random speculation, it would have been ignored entirely. So that scares me off, Fable Passage, and I own four foil extended arts, so I very much have a vested interest in this information not being true. But I'm not going to run out and try to sell them to people, given that that rumor is floating around. I, will I agree t- that it's a, it's take a very my high repris, very high rent of, very high risk of reprint card, considering it's already been in Challenger decks. It's entirely yeah. possible they put it in the next set of Challenger decks as well. Well, yeah, but that that's the thing. I I still think that this is what like the most popular land around especially when you think about how it's the only fetch land in pioneer and it it's for now it's underpriced uh, well sure for now for now heaven only knows what they got in store uh you can pick up extended art ones for 23 uh no let's see what's my near mids god i i don't ever look at the i play the cheapest um Extended art that's near mint is 29. And I think that's a very reasonable entry point for that as well, because you're probably not going to get a reprint of the extended art, as we said. So, but oh, no. also, oh I, no? No, I'm, I'm arguing that if it's in M21, they're going to do oh, collector boosters for all M21. The treatment again. And there oh. is going to be another one. And so the question then becomes is it different art? Will people care about given that they both came out within a calendar year of each other, will there be much of a difference in the way that people treat the first extended arts versus the second? How long might it take for the prices to converge, etc.? I'll put it to you this way. I think this pick is fantastic if 4chan's wrong and the card (laughs) dodges a reprint and doesn't show up in challenger decks and there's enough paper pioneer and and, uh, standard play in the fall that this actually even matters at all. Um, so for me, this one is a put a pin in it, wait and see what that list looks like. And the funny thing is you realize we're getting spoilers for M21 in like two weeks. Are you kidding me? Nope. Cause they listen what? for the rest of the year. What? We still, we hold still on. have to get through. Listen, hold on. We still have to get through M21 jumpstart, uh, double masters, then more Commander decks heading into Zendikar 3 and then Commander Legends. There's also a green Commander 8-card set in the middle of that, all of that somewhere. Oh, my God, you're right. Core 21 and releases July... is supposed to release July 3, so that means uh, previews would start sometime in early se- June. Sec- second week of June. Good Lord. So we're, we're two weeks out from probably getting pretty close to finding out whether 4chan is correct or not um you know also rumored in in that post was ugin the spirit dragon and uh, what was the other one Ah, i can't remember go back a few episodes and you can you can hear us babbling about it but (laughs) i mean it's these are sensible oh i know what it was grim tutor 
It was Grim Tutor being added to standard that was rumored. You no, there is no way. It's Grim it's three mana sorcery demonic tutor that costs you three life. I don't even think that's too powerful for standard at this point. People and and I don't think it necessarily now. hurts the original copies because they're rare enough that they probably just gain value in that scenario. So anyway, let's find out in two weeks whether any of this is true. Uh, in, in the meantime, Travis and I have been doing this little thing where we try to pick the best uh, spec on the table for the week. Which of these do you like best? Um, I mean, I think the Great Hinge is probably the safest of all the picks because of the commander appeal and it's, you know, uh, what it represents. But I also think that uh, thematic compass is more likely to pay off a lot like if you bought a bunch of them especially given the ar- arbitrage uh, opportunities available I-, I think i agree that compass is probably the best just because the roi is highest the others we p- there's a lot of things over 50 dollars here and they make a lot more sense as uh collectors picking up their copies before the opportunity disappears than they do as a priority spec that's going to eat up a lot of capital and generate a solid but not incredible ROI. Especially given that you've got things like the secret layer bundles coming down the track where you could easily plow three or 4,000 into them and probably not be as deep as you might even want to be. One of these days you're going to tell me about these people who easily plow three or four grand into some secret layer stuff. I recognize that they're out there, and I recognize that, that you're one of them, but uh, <laughs> I don't know that there's as many as you think there are. Uh, no, I don't think that there are millions of them. I think that there are single digit thousands of them, but I think that those people spend so much money a year that they easily uh, equal you know, 10, 20, 30 other Magic players in terms of their total spend. And that explains everything you need to know about why Magic keeps pushing these premium products because they're getting purchased. If, if you see these VIP yeah. packs get rejected, you know, people refuse to buy them. And that has happened once in the last year. If you recall, for, for Throne of Eldraine, there was a VIP level box that they sold for 450 or 500 oh, something yeah, like that. Oh, yeah, it had like a 9 by 9 of uncut cards and yeah. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it sold very poorly. Um now, that also means that they're probably going to be extremely rare, and they're probably going to double in price. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because guys like my dad own one, but they're never going to resell it. And if anybody wants to add one to their collection, they're going to have to find them in a very limited market space. But uh, I think they learned their lesson on that. That one just wasn't that compelling. That's basically what most people were saying. Like, it's not the price point. You just didn't give me enough juice. So I think when you when you see these VIP boosters with the 35 cards, they're going to have so many box toppers in them that their value, even at that price, is going to be undeniable. Yeah, Wizards wants to find out how much money they can directly suck from our wallets, and they have not hit bottom yet. Correct. So even and, th- in- and that's why no one's going to get their way in terms of them refocusing on, you know, Popper Masters or something like. Wizards could print some really cool cheap products. And they do. They could they could put more effort into that and appease some folks. They could even just decide to throw fetches out there in a way that would make them extremely cheap. 
And at some point, I think it might be worth it for them to take a PR win and do that, like, every once in a while. Like, I'm not surprised that they're not throwing out a... You know, the Fetch set could have been a $50 secret layer, and it would have sold <laughs> a near-infinite amount of copies. How many would you have bought at, if they did a secret layer drop? Let's, let's round it up to 100. Zen Fetches, right. I would have emptied my available funds. So, uh, right, I mean... But so at, would everybody at, else have, and so... Right. They would have they would have risen slowly but steadily over time, and that's what happens every time they they make them cheap. And I, I think that um, the only thing, like they they're not going to print it in another standard set. They learn their lessons in cons block. They are not going to put enemy fetches. I mean, would do you think they would do something like uh, put the Zendikar fetches in return to Zendikar and just say you can't play these in standard? They're not in Zendikar. They're probably the box toppers. Right, but something like that where um, they finally got the price on the allied fetches low enough after being in cons. So, um, and that, that price that, has that price has held pretty much since cons of Tarkir, which was several years ago. So my bo- is- the box topper, the Zendikar three box topper theory is my second favorite. The first is just that they're in Commander Legends as rares. Um, that's a massive home run. Like that set will sell <laughs> just a bonkers amount of boxes with that configuration. You're getting 70 new cards, tons of commanders, like literal dozens of new commanders to build around, and all five enemy fetches. That that, that product will just blow the doors off. I Heading into Christmas, no less. This is a November product. Oh, I can't wait. And you know it's going to have box stoppers. You know, or it's going to have something VIP edition or whatever. A little something, something, a little grease. Yeah. Not that it may need it if that's the case. So, I mean, whether it's one or the other of those two options, that's fine. I mean, that'll that'll get... The fetches will come down a lot if they're rares in Commander Legends. Um, But... That also happened in Modern Masters 2017, and I tracked that very carefully and wrote a couple articles about it. And frankly, folks just missed their their on ramp there. Like they they were real cheap for a while, and then six months later they popped again. Yeah, because Modern Masters 2017 was at like a medium print run. So the argument from people like Prof is basically just print them in an infinite print run, get them down to like KTK fetch level. It's a reasonable argument, and I think actually that there's a major PR win to be had by going that route with just those five cards one time. It, it would it would give them the, yeah, but look what we did, finger to point, for all the other stuff they don't reprint for a while. <laughs> they, they, they don't have to reprint everything into the ground. They could just take a few real key pieces like that, make them dirt cheap, and they would get a lot of uh, goodwill equity out of that. All right. I'm with you. Uh, All right. So where can people wanna... find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me online every Friday on MTG Price. Uh, also, I'm on Twitter at Word of Commander. 
You guys can find me on Twitter at MTGCritic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super, super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, if you were in there this week, you'd be getting to play a pretty sweet 32-person get-a-box-of-double-masters tournament. Free entry. Doesn't get any better than that. I mean, it doesn't. Uh, can I? If I win it, I'm not that good at sealed, no matter what I did to you. Uh, is, is staff allowed? Am I? I, I think the I... only person I'm banning from winning anything is myself. That's good. That's good. I approve of that plan. And, and I don't think it's... I, I think our pro traders are high enough quality <laughs> players that I probably don't have to worry about whether I would win or not anyway. Um, yeah, I'm not too worried about winning either. Yeah. I'm a two, three drop kind of guy. We, we got some pretty sharp cookies in there. So there, there are some people that have been grinding pretty hard and are going to be ready to win this box. Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the promo code FINANCE5, that's FINANCE with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Thank you so much for giving me a call, James. It's always nice to hear from y'all. Thank you, Cliff, for helping out, and uh, hopefully we'll have Travis back next week once he sorts out his computer problems. We'll see you all on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.